you have a Bible, you can take it and turn to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, as we continue to walk through this letter from Paul. And we are still in chapter 1 and plan to be in verses 15 through 23, both uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. I had hopes of getting further in that section. I still think we'll just do two sermons, but we're kind of going to swim around in this passage a little bit. There's a lot to meditate on and think on, so I'm warning you up front, we may meander a little bit, but I still hope that it will be encouraging and helpful for us to meander in God's Word. Um, it is, uh, it's the season for March Madness uh, basketball, uh, and so many of the great moments of, of March Madness NCAA basketball, the, the tournament, they happen at the very end of the game. Uh, I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of full games, but I, lo- I watch a lot of the last two minutes of games. Uh, and so many of those are exciting times, whether it's a, an underdog team that beats an established team, which I'd like to apologize to all you UK fans. I know it was disappointing this year. Or maybe it's a last-second shot after sort of a back and forth game and someone finally wins. And what happens is all of the action on the, on the court and all of the emotion that's in the arena, it often sort of literally overflows onto the court. Uh, and the last buzzer, buzzer sounds and the, the court is suddenly filled with fans and players who are just rejoicing in this thing. And in those moments, uh, you couldn't stop fans from storming the court, even if you wanted to. It's, it just overflows. Well, in these first 14 verses of Ephesians, we see the Apostle Paul uh, writing this letter, and and his heart is going out towards his brothers and sisters in in Ephesus. And his soul, at the same time, is also filled with praise for all that God has done in salvation. And those two streams, this, this deep love that he has for his brothers and sisters in Christ in Ephesus, and this, this deep understanding of what God has done in the gospel. All of that, that sort of comes together into, into a prayer that is, is bathed in light of this, this work of salvation that's described in verses 3 through 14, and this love that he has. And those two things mean that, that this prayer, in some ways, Paul couldn't have kept from praying it. It just overflows out of him in light of this deep love that he has and in light of all that he's seen and understands about what God is doing in the gospel. He just overflows in prayer. And my, my prayer for us today, myself included, is that as we are filled with a love for one another, a love for brothers and sisters in Christ in this room and even around the world, as we're filled with that love for one another, and as we're filled with an understanding of all that God has done for us in Christ, that our hearts too would overflow in prayer in a similar way, an unstoppable prayer. We, we couldn't not pray this prayer if we wanted to, to stop ourselves from doing it. And I think that's what God's word is calling us to today. It's calling us to pray like Paul does here in Ephesians 1, verses 15 through 23 to pray filled with with joy and filled with love, but also pray for knowledge. As we study these verses, I think this is the the main idea that I'd like to to give you today and maybe next week as well. It's this, and I'm kind of, I'm stealing from Trevor's uh, main idea on prayer back in January and expanding on it because it was a little short, but that's it. His his, uh, big idea was let us pray. So I would like to say, let us pray that God would give us a knowledge of him 
and of all that is ours in Christ. Let us pray that God would give us a knowledge of him and of all that is ours in Christ. As we read these verses in a moment, you might notice actually that they're not so much a prayer as they are a report of the prayers that, that Paul offers for the believers in Ephesus. He, he says to them, when I pray for you, these are the kinds of things that I'm praying for you. <laughs> and in that sense, this passage is not like some of the psalms that we might read where uh, we can just sort of pray the words of that psalm word for word. That said, though, it with just a little bit of thought, it's not difficult to tweak this prayer report into a prayer for ourselves and a prayer for one another. From the beginning, then, let's, let's study this prayer or prayer report, whatever you want to call it, as a model for our own prayers. And, we'll res- and as we respond to this passage by saying, let us pray. Let us pray that God would give us a knowledge of him and of all that is ours in Christ. Well, like verses 3 through 14, Ephesians 1, 15 through 23 actually reads again like one long sentence of about 170-ish words. So this chapter, in some ways, uh, it's about three sentences long, you might say. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And, and as, as praise to God for salvation flowed out of Paul in, in verses uh, three through four, three through fourteen. So too, prayer for the Ephesian believers overflows in verses fifteen through twenty-three. So I want to read this text before we go any further. Uh, I'm going to read the entire prayer uh, or the entire prayer report, though we're just going to kind of focus on mostly verses fifteen through nineteen. So hear God's word from Ephesians one. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. With your eyes still there in the text, you can see in verse 15, the first of three for this reason phrases. The other two being in chapter three, verse one, and chapter three, verse 14. And in using this, this phrase here in Ephesians 1, 15, Paul is telling us why he, give thank, why he gives thanks for the Ephesians and why he regularly, regularly prays for them. So before we start thinking about what we are to pray, we are given in verses 15 and 16 the motivation to pray for others. Let's think on that, the motivation to pray for others. Paul is indirectly telling us why he, chained in a Roman prison, continually remembers these believers in Ephesus, some of which he knew, but many of whom he he probably did not know. And his example helps us to consider what might motivate us to pray for others. 
And Paul gives us here, I think I would, we would say at least two motivations. So as we think about the motivation to pray for others, the first motivation is the greatness of our redemption. The greatness of our redemption motivates us to pray for others. Uh, D.A. Carson argues that, that this, for this reason, phrase refers back to all of verses 3 through 14, and especially to the themes of, of God's sovereignty, of God's control, his orchestration, his, his ordaining of all things. So says Carson, Paul is teaching us how to pray under the sovereignty of God. He's teaching us how to pray under the sovereignty of God. Paul then is, is looking back and he's praying in light of God's eternal purposes in saving us, the, the riches of his grace purchased by Jesus and then lavished on us, and the inheritance he has planned and guaranteed by his spirit for his children. And this prayer then is an overflow of all of these truths. But notice too that, that Paul is, is also specifically giving thanks and praying for the Ephesians. Having heard of, of their faith in the Savior and their love for the fellow saints, this is not then simply a, a prayer of praise in general. It's a specific prayer of thanks for God's sovereign work in the Ephesian believers. So we see then there's a second motivation to pray. It's not just the greatness of our redemption, but the greatness of our love for the redeemed. We pray for others because of the greatness of our love for the redeemed, for for the people that are God's children. We love them and so we're praying for them. That may not be the best way to say it, the greatness of our love for the redeemed. But, but what we, we're seeing here is that Paul has this great deep affection for these believers, that, that he, he believed in the genuineness of their faith and that he trusted that God was at work in and, and among them. He, he'd been to their city, he saw their, their faith but it would also seem even that in his absence, he's getting word from others about their faith and about their love. He's hearing reports about what's going on, uh, that this love and this faith continues to mark the Ephesian church, and he's filled with even more love for them that just overflows in praise. These words of, in verses 15 and 16 recall some more words of Paul. Uh, Paul says, uh, gives a word of thanks in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. He says to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. And then he recalls what he knows about Timothy. He says, as I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So here again, his thanksgiving is not simply for God's sovereign purposes in salvation, but for the fact that God set his love specifically on his friend, Timothy. Timothy, I'm so thankful that God saved you because you're my friend and, and I love you and I'm so thankful. The, the same is seen in, in Philemon 4 through 5, another very personal letter actually. Paul writes in, in verses 4 through 5 of Philemon, I thank my God when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith. Same thing, love, faith. I hear of your love and your faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. So this is a pattern. This is something that excites Paul. Paul is giving thanks and praying in the light of God's sovereignty, but specifically in the light of the way that God's sovereign purposes of salvation have given life and borne fruit in the lives of the people that he knows and loves. Again, Paul is praying because of the greatness of our salvation and because the, the gospel has come to these friends and fellow saints that, 
that he loves. He's thrilled that they have trusted Christ, that they are bearing fruit, uh, the fruit of love for all the church. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. They, they, they're not perfect in faith and love, and Paul's going to offer instruction in the rest of this letter, but, but they're true Christians, and that thrills Paul, and it causes him to thank God. And why does he thank God? Why does he thank God in particular? Well, because it's, it's God who's done it. There's no one else to thank. He has to thank God. I wonder then if, if we are marked by thanksgiving to God for the way that he has saved those that we know and love. Is that something that marks us? Do we look around this room on a Sunday and thank God for saving the people in this place that we call brothers and sisters in Christ? Do we look at our family and friends and fall on our knees in gratitude to God, knowing that, that they would be lost, they would be without hope in the world except for the fact that God rescued, rescued them with this great salvation? Do we give thanks even for brothers and sisters in Christ that we'll never meet just thrilled by the fact that they are part of this family of God. We, we read a missionary report and we hear of someone coming to faith and we, we're filled with thanksgiving for what God has done that he purposed from before eternity, before time began to save this person and we are just thankful that they are our brothers and our sisters in Christ. A related question to that might be, uh, our faith in Jesus and love for one another, are those things enough to get us excited? Or, or have we grown so accustomed to and overly familiar with the miracle of the gospel that, that we're not thrilled at it anymore when it happens? You know, we can be tempted to, to look for other signs of God's activity uh, among his people. Maybe we're looking for a large crowd or a beautiful building. Maybe we're more excited by amazing spiritual gifts or large monetary donations. I, I think those things all have their place, don't they? But but Paul's showing us that the salvation of a soul and the love of God growing in our hearts, that that's the first thing that, and the most exciting thing that we should be giving praise to God for. Isn't that encouraging? I find that encouraging for our church in particular because if Paul was writing to us, he wouldn't be at a loss for what to give thanks for because we don't have a building that's our own or because there's not a large crowd that gathers each week or we don't have a million dollar budget. Paul would, would have no issue that we don't have any of those, of those things. What would he be thrilled about? He'd be thrilled that we have faith in Jesus. He'd be thrilled that we have love for one another. Now, those other blessings, are they bad? No. And we're praying for some of those things. We're praying that they might come in God's timing and for his glory. But even if they never do, we can be filled with thanks and praise, can't we? Even if they never come, we can still make it our, our goal and passion to see people in our community and our families moving from darkness to light through faith in Jesus. Because that's the most exciting thing. That's the greatest thing that we can give thanks for. We're called to be filled with thanks and praise for all that God has accomplished, all of the planning and the foredaining and the purposing and the choosing that he has undertaken on our behalf, all of the sacrifice that he has made for us, all of the spiritual blessings that he has given us in Christ. And in light of this miracle, we like Paul, we should be filled with thanksgiving and praise for the faith that we see in others, for the love of the saints that is practiced among us. In the spirit of, of this prayer report, I, I wonder if we might learn to do what Paul is doing to say to our brothers and sisters in Christ, 
I thank God that I can see faith in Jesus at work in you. I thank God that, that you are a person who loves God's people. I'm so glad that you're a part of my family. I, I see the evidence of God's grace at work in you. Sisters and brothers, there is no one here who would not be thrilled to hear those words spoken to them. There's no one here who would not be encouraged if you said, I'm thankful that you're a child of God, that you're part of my family. So would you be the person to say them? Might be a little awkward, might be strange at first, but it's worth it. So maybe take a risk today. <laughs> this praise to God alone reminds us once again of the fact that salvation is God's work. You know, if you're here today wondering what you need to do to be a member of, of God's family, to be rescued from sin and hell, then know that the answer is believe. Faith in Jesus, verse 15 reveals, is all that is needed for God to save us and make us his own. And that rea reality resounds to, to his glory alone. There's nothing that we have to do other than repent of our sins, turning, turning from our pride and our self-centered salvation projects and trusting in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. There's nothing uh, I, I would love to do or anyone in this room wouldn't love to do more than to, to talk to you about that and maybe even welcome you into the family of faith. Paul's thanksgiving in verse 16 flows naturally then into prayers for the growth of the saints in Ephesus. God has saved them and therefore God must also grow them. God's going to be the one that helps them grow and that's what Paul's praying for. And the prayers offered by Paul on behalf of the Ephesians are prayers needed by the hearts of all believers. If God is the only one who has saved us, then he is also the only one who can help us grow in the knowledge of this salvation and the outworking of it. So Paul looks back at the work that God uh, did in saving us, and he gives thanks, but he's also praying that God would continue that work in us, because it is only as God works in us that we'll be able to, to grow in this new unity, in this new walk that the rest of the book is going to describe. So having, having seen the, the motivation to pray for others, we're now ready to discover the, the words that we might pray for one another and for our fellow Christians. Though I'll be honest, we're not gonna get to spend a lot of time talking about it because we're gonna think about some other stuff too. But verses 17 through 23 give us some beautiful ways to pray. Ways, as, as Don Whitney says in, in his book, Praying the Bible, that many of us have read, ways that keep us from praying the same old things about the same old things. Uh, that's helpful. And what becomes quickly apparent as we look at Paul's prayer is that he is praying that believers in Jesus would know certain things. He's praying that we would have knowledge. As our big idea says, knowledge of him and of all that is ours in Christ. So let's put our next set of thoughts under this point. The focus of this prayer is knowledge. The focus of this prayer is knowledge. And I want to think about this because we need to get our minds rightly centered on what Paul is talking about when he talks about knowledge. As we meditate on this passage, I think a couple of things become clear as we think about this, the focus of the prayer being on knowledge. And the first is, this knowledge is not only in our heads. This knowledge is not only in our heads. What I'm saying in some ways is we need to be careful not to infuse this word knowledge with our 21st, understanding, 21st century understanding of it, which we're prone to do. Many times, if you want to indicate that, 
that you're smart or that you know something, what do you do? You point at your head. I'm smart. I've got this figured out. This is, where am I smart? I'm smart in my brain. <laughs> I'm smart up here. Uh, we think that this is the seed of our knowledge, but there's more going on here than intellectual knowledge, isn't there? Consider the simple fact that the Old Testament writers used the word know to describe the intimacy between a husband and wife in sexual union. There's more to biblical knowledge than just our brains. This knowledge Paul is praying for then goes far beyond just the information in our heads. This is spiritual knowledge. It's indicated here by the way that Paul is asking for God to give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's asking that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts. That's right, fans of early 2000s worship music. It wasn't Sonic Flood. It was the Apostle Paul who first prayed, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. That was a joke for a small segment of people, but I'm thankful for those of you that got it. <laughs> what a great picture that is. Open the eyes of my heart. The eyes of your heart. Do you ever think about your heart having eyes? If we're going to understand who God is and what he has done for us in Christ, we need to see with our hearts and with our souls. Now the heart in scripture, as has been said from here probably many times, is the place where, where all that we are is centered. The heart is the, the seat of our emotions, of our thoughts, even the place where our actions are originate. Remember, Jesus says it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. So true knowledge goes way beyond our, our brains. If we're, if we're going to have the kind of spiritual, life-changing knowledge that Paul is praying for us to have, then we're going to have to engage every part of our being, everything of who we are, if we're going to know who God is. We may initially think of knowledge as being primarily intellectual, but we also, we know that's not true. Think about describing to someone uh, who has never ridden a roller coaster what it feels like to ride a roller coaster. Or think about explaining the beauty of the Grand Canyon to someone like me who's never been there. At some point, words are not enough. And we say something like, well, you just gotta try it. Or you just gotta go there, or you just have to see it. You have to experience it. And the knowledge here is that kind of knowledge. It's, it's deeper. It's this, you have to experience it in your head and in your heart and in your soul kind of knowledge. To know God is not something that's here. It's, it's everywhere to know who God is. Which leads to a second thought. So we said that this knowledge is, is, is not only in our heads. And second, this knowledge is not acquired by effort alone. This knowledge is not acquired by effort Alone. Now, that word alone is important, okay? Uh, because there is a, a, an aspect of learning to this knowledge. There is an aspect of effort. As we think about knowing God or understanding what God has done for us in Christ, there's, there's information that we need to, to gather. We, we need to read and meditate on the scriptures and, and read what otherwise teachers have said. I mean, Paul has just constructed one of the great sentences of the entire Bible, if not one of the greatest sentences in human history, to communicate who God is and what he has done. And we need to read that. We need to meditate on it and think about it. That's why we took three weeks to do just that. Or I think about the book Knowing God by J.I. Packer. We gave Ian that book when he was baptized, and he and Mark read it. And I asked him, how long did it take you? They said, 
about a year <laughs> to walk through it. Now, they, it didn't take them that long to read that book. It took them that long to digest that book because of what it was meditating on about who God is. And that's the kind of meditation and the work that's necessary and needed if we're going to know who God is. We can't expect to know God without applying any effort. So what I don't want you to hear me saying is God's going to reveal himself to you so you don't need to try and get to know him. I would say, in fact, probably the opposite, right? In fact, the promise that God will reveal himself to us should make us apply even more effort to get to know him. Why? Because it's not wasted effort. (laughs) Put all the effort into knowing God that you want. Why? Because he's promised that he will reveal himself to us. So what I am saying is that, that Paul knew that him writing and us reading, that was not enough. Because in the end, it's the Lord that has to give us knowledge of who he is. It's the Lord that has to help us understand what God has done for us in Christ. I often will start our fellowship of the word studies that we do around here by reading the first few verses of Proverbs 2. I want to do that. As I read that, notice the if statements, okay? The writer of the Proverbs says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, (coughs) excuse me, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Did you notice all that effort that was in there? It's like digging for treasure. It's, It's hard work to get wisdom, to understand the knowledge of God. But here's the deal. If we stop at verse five, We've missed something because we're going to think it's all about our effort. What does verse 6 say, though? Verse 5 again says, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 6, For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. So which one is it? It's both. It's, it's effort. We, we apply Holy Spirit-inspired effort into understanding who God is. And who gives us a knowledge of God? God does. We work hard, and then God reveals himself to us. Think about our, our reading from Mark 8. Here were guys that were walking with Jesus, the disciples, and yet they didn't fully understand who he was. He had to reveal himself to them in deeper and deeper ways. So we see a similar truth here as Paul keeps his focus on the, the Trinity, Because not only is salvation a work of the Trinity, as we saw in verses 3 through 14, but the revelation of of this work to the eyes of our hearts and to our very souls is something that God alone can do. And so Paul follows the biblical pattern that Joshua pointed out to us back in January. He prays to the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Paul is doing that right here. He prays first the title he gives. uh, Here he says he prays to the the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. Bao writes about that. God is no longer known as the God of Israel or the God of Abraham as his covenant name because God is no longer a national God, but the God of all nations, including Israelites, who come to the Father through the incarnate Son. What a beautiful truth. I think the other truth, though, that this title reminds us of as we think about praying for the revelation of the work of salvation of who God is, 
is that Jesus is the perfect representation of God in human form. John 1, 14 and 18, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of, as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the father's side, he has made him known. Jesus says to Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the father. When we pray, we are praying to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ. We are praying through him and we are praying in his name because he is the revelation of God and he is able to reveal himself to our hearts. We're also praying, verse 17, to the Father of glory. The Father of glory. I think that title indicates how transcendent God is, that, that he has to reveal himself to us or we won't know him. Because we're praying to the one, says 1 Timothy 6.16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. That's who we're praying to. And that's who we're trying to get to know. Reminds us that if we're going to see him, if we're going to know him, he has to reveal himself to us. Do you have any secrets? <laughs> Do you have something that only you know about yourself? Well, know that no one else is going to know that unless you reveal it. And none of us will ever know the Lord of glory unless he reveals himself. But praise God, he has. He has, he has done it through his word, he's done it through sending his son, he's done it through his indwelling spirit in each of us. So we see the father and we see the son and we also see the role of the spirit. Paul is asking that God would give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, which probably refers to the Holy Spirit. Now, if that's true, if it is the Holy Spirit in this verse, it doesn't mean that we don't have the Holy Spirit always. We established that, I think, either last week or the week before, that the Holy Spirit is given to all true believers and stays with us. But, but it's indicating that as we yield to him and as we rest in him and as we seek after the Lord, that the Spirit reveals more and more of who God is to us. This is what Jesus said the Spirit would do, right? What's the Spirit going to do? He's going to lead you into all truth. Listen to what Paul says of the Spirit's role in our lives in 1 Corinthians 2. 10 to 13. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. How many people? No one. No one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The spirit has to reveal these things to us. The focus of this prayer then is knowledge. And we might be tempted to say, if Paul wants us to have knowledge, then we don't need to pray, we just need to study, and we need to read, and we need to discuss, and we need to do things. And we do need to do these things. But we also, as we study, and as we read, and as we discuss, and as we put effort into knowing who God is and understanding our salvation, we do it knowing that we are completely dependent upon God to reveal himself to us. So what does Paul pray for? 
And what can we pray for ourselves and for one another? Two prayers. I think they are, God help us to know you. That's that prayer there. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. God help us to know you. And the second prayer, God help us to know all that is ours in Christ. Help us to know all that is ours in Christ. Specifically on that second request, all that is ours is in Christ. We see, we see that in this passage that it's, we're asking God to help us to know the hope we have been called to. The riches of our inheritance. And the power at work in us. God, help us to know you. God, help us to know all that is ours in Christ. The hope we've been called to. The riches of our inheritance. The power at work in us. Those are the things that we pray for one another. Those are the things we need to think about. But we're out of time. <laughs> and so we'll save a meditation on those requests for next week. But I want to encourage you to, to maybe even begin praying those prayers. God, those prayers, God, help me to know you. God, help these people that I love to know you. And God, help me to know all that is mine in Christ. Help my, my brothers and sisters in Christ to know all that is theirs in Christ. Can I give you a few questions that maybe the Spirit would use to apply these, these things even more to our hearts? Just as we close. As we seek to know who God is, are we depending on him? Maybe you're not a Christian. I would say to you, search the scriptures. But I would also say to you, pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. If you don't, then you'll be like the famous astronaut who went up to space and then said, I see no God up here. <laughs> his physical eyes saw nothing. Why? Because the eyes of his heart were blind. He was surrounded by evidence of God, but he had no eyes to see it. If you're looking for God and you don't feel like you see him, then pray that he would open the eyes of your heart. And if you are a Christian and you're seeking to know the Lord more and, and understand him better in your, your life, even just as he is working out in your circumstances, are we asking to know God in dependence on him? Or are we actually just depending on ourselves? Do we think we can figure God out somehow without his help? Are we working hard, but also as we work hard, resting in the fact that only God can reveal himself to us? We have to do both. Related then, have we given up maybe? Have you given up the thought that you might know who God is or have a deep revelation of, or a deep knowledge of him because you've just been engaging your brain? and not sought for him with your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength. Let's bend every effort to know God, not just our, our minds, but, but our souls. And then as we think about praying for others to know God, I'm just reminded, do we recognize the depth of this knowledge and how dependent we are on God to give it? That... that if we're, we, we, we want to pray these prayers for others, I think that's the focus. Paul is praying on behalf of others. Do we recognize the depth of our dependence on God to give this kind of knowledge? 
when we pray for brothers and sisters in Christ, do we realize that they will not understand who God is unless he reveals himself? When we pray for our children to come to faith, are, are we just praying that we would have all the right answers? Or are we praying that God would open the eyes of their hearts? Because that's the only way they're going to know who God is. You can have all the right answers, but until God opens the eyes of our hearts, we will not see him. What about our friends who are far from Christ? They can frustrate us sometimes. <laughs> we feel like we've given them all the right answers. Why aren't they changing? Well, we know that it's not just here, is it? It's in our hearts and in our souls that we have to come to know who God is. Are we praying? Are we depending on him completely? Could we take a moment of silence and allow God's spirit to apply these truths to our hearts? And in a few moments, I'll, I'll close this in prayer. Father, we are um, beyond grateful that you have revealed yourself to us. We would be blind like the man in Mark 8. We would see nothing or we would see just partially. But because you have fully revealed yourself to us and because of the work of the Spirit, we can know who you are and yet, Lord, we want to know you more. We want to understand you deeper. We want to understand the, the inheritance that we have. And we want those that we love to know you better as well. So, Lord, thank you for the greatness of our redemption. And thank you for the love that you've given us for one another. So we pray, Lord, that you would reveal yourself more and more to us, even this week. We pray that you would reveal yourself more and more to our children. We pray that you would reveal yourself more and more to those that we love who are far from you. We pray that you would reveal yourself more and more to our community and to this world, that Lord, you would open the eyes of the hearts of all those that we know. Lord, we pray big prayers. We pray that you would open the eyes of the hearts of this world to see who you are. We can't do it can't argue them into the kingdom. We can't convince them with our own arguments and our, our own wisdom, Lord, but you can do it. And so we ask that you'd help us to be faithful to seek after you and helpful and faithful to depend on you completely. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.